Good morning. How are you guys doing today? How was your weekend? All right, that's enough. Hey, fine. Thank you. Uh, love you guys. Hey, listen, welcome to Portico Church Arlington. Uh, my name is Jason. It's my privilege to open the Word of God up with you today. We're in Philippians. Uh, we'll be in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 for the next two weeks. Kind of think of it as part one, part two. So you can go ahead and put your thumb there. If you need a Bible, we have some in the back. Uh, feel free to grab that. Um, we'd love for you to have that. Um, you may not be a believer. I don't want you to feel like you're out of place here. Um, every single person that has faith in Christ comes to that position from a, a position of doubt or skepticism or even if they're raised as a believer. At some point, you have to decide, do I actually believe this? And if so, why? So my encouragement to you is learn. Uh, and we all learn in communities, so do it with a community. I encourage you to press into all that Scripture has to say to you today. We're going to be talking about a mindset. Um, we don't really say that word too much. We use words like attitude, things like that, but I don't really think that goes far enough. For instance, um, if you drive around here, it will give you a bad attitude. I was in line behind a car at a stoplight this week, and the cross traffic was crazy because they were working on this, this water main that broke near my house. And it wasn't affecting us. We were just waiting for the light to turn. But it affected the cross street. And people are screaming and honking. And this guy just gets in on it, right? He just starts yelling and doing signs with his hand that I'm not going to repeat. And I'm like, well, you're not even, we're not affected. But it, we just caught it all. Um, the bottom line is you will see yourself do things that will shock you um, when you'll, you'll get mad in traffic. Why is that? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not like me. What about when somebody disrespects you at work? How do you handle that? I mean, it was wrong. How do you handle circumstances where you're, you're disrespected, um, where who you are and what you've done is not honored, or where you have to go somewhere else and nobody else realizes that and they're getting in your way? See, a mindset does this. It's how you see yourself. It's how you see the world around you. It's how you define good and evil. And ultimately, it's how you define your own story. It's how you understand it. Your mindset will push your emotions. It's not just intellectual. It will move your emotions. It will move your will. It will change how you live. This is what your mindset is going to do. Sum it up this way. Whatever dominates your thinking will drive your behavior every time. doesn't matter if something triggers it. Whatever dominates your thinking or your mindset or how you understand life and your own story will drive your behavior. So as we jump in today, think through for these next couple weeks, at least today, what is it that dominates your thinking? What is that? Um, here's a few examples. Do you have a hard time letting go of your right to say, remind, remain angry at somebody? When honestly, they deserve it. They deserve your heat. They deserve your anger. Do you have a hard time letting go of that? What about, do you have a hard time letting go of spending your time your way? This is huge in our culture. It's my time. I'm going to do what I want with it. What about justice and retribution? Do you have a hard time 
letting go of justice and retribution and, and, and maybe absorbing the wound because it's required of you to, re, just to forgive somebody. This is going to put us in positions and places we, there, there's beyond what we can do, more than what we have to give. So we're learning through Philippians what it means that we have a story and we're learning to live that story in light of the story of Christ. And, and just so we know, before we even get into the text, learning to live your story means learning to give your life away. It's going to change your mindset. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church. They needed him. He was in prison, probably getting ready to die. And here's what story answers. Your story will answer why your life matters. That's what you're busy trying to discern. Why does my life matter? Now, the Apostle Paul, as we said several times, understood his life or his story as a movement within God's grand story. He, he believed that, and it completely changed how he lived. He was in prison when he wrote this, and apparently the most joyful person in the Roman Empire. It changed how he died, and it changed how he held on to and experienced joy. So today, and, in, and next week as well, we're going to see the story that he anchored his life to. So verses 5 through 11 in chapter 2 of Philippians is what's called the Christ hymn. It's like a poem. It doesn't fit the rest of the book, but it anchors all of it. We don't know if Paul wrote it. We don't know if it was something that was circulated around the church, uh, like a creed or something. Probably the latter. But he gives it to the Philippian church, and he says, this is where I anchor my life. This is how I understand my story. This is the story that my story is wrapped up into. Therefore, this sets my mindset. This is how I see life. This is how I understand my own life and my circumstances. This is where I anchor my hope. So this is where the Apostle Paul's mindset grows out of. So we're going to jump right into it. Uh, this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. We're only going to focus today on verses 5 through 8. We're going to break it up because the poem is kind of in two movements. First is the humiliation of Christ. His, he's humbled. And I think, honestly, we're, we're more comfortable with that until we understand what it means. And the next week, it's his exaltation. It's not just that Christ humbled himself, but 5 through 11 or 8 through 9 through 11 shows that he was exalted. So we're going to walk through these two movements and seek to understand how that changes how we see our own life and just life in general. So let's jump right in it. This is chapter 2, uh, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We are desperately, in many cases, trying to position our life, trying to make sense of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, or just trying to honestly live for you. My prayer this morning is, as we open this word up, as we, as we read this hymn, as we see this song, which describes what it means that Christ was given for us and exalted. That you'd help us to see it, Lord. We need your help. So we ask that you'd open up your word that we might behold its treasure. In the name of Christ, amen. So this is the mindset. This is what the ask is of this verse. This is where it goes. That you would... Really assert yourself, not, not just thinking, but you would assert yourself to the advantage of others. So if you understand what the Apostle Paul is saying, if you understand who it is that Christ is, what he has done, and the fact that he's exalted by God the Father, the ask or the pressure of our life, of this mindset, is that we would assert our life, right? That we would actually take action in our lives to the advantage of other people. This is the ask. Now, it shows us three ways how Jesus not only makes this possible, but calls us to do that. First, um, Jesus renounces his rights. That's right off the bat, and we'll walk through that. Secondly, Jesus embraces humility. So it's not like, it's, it's not as though he doesn't have ambition. A lot of times when we think humility, we're like, oh, you know, just keep your mouth shut, be quiet, and just let life go by. This is not what he's talking about. Jesus embraces humility, and then he aggressively positions himself in your shoes. He does this. And as we walk through this, not only will we understand what it means to assert ourselves to the advantage of others, we will understand what it means that this mindset is yours in Christ Jesus. So let's walk through this together. First, Jesus renounces his rights. We are going to walk through some of the most powerful scripture that you're ever going to see in understanding who Jesus is. So be patient. Verse 5. It says, Have this mind, keyword, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So the first question we need to ask have what mind, right? What, what is he talking about? Is he pointing backwards? Is he pointing forwards? Well, for sure this. Last week, if you remember, Pastor Nate Wagner taught us um, that grace does something to you. It actually produces a humble unity in your life such that it changes how we live together. Uh, the desire is that we would count others as more significant than ourselves. And this would be the energy that drives our lives. And it produces, when this happens, when we're understanding grace, it actually produces a unity in a church body, in a group of people you cannot have any other way. It will transcend politics, gender, everything, such that we are unified together around Christ. So have what mind? This mind. Verse 3, we heard it last week. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is the mind that he's talking about. And for the Philippians who are, they were dealing with obstacles to unity. They were dealing with both external pressure from false teachers coming in and 
probably more important, internal pressure, internal conflict within their church, the only way forward for them, the only way, is a spirit-born humility, right? Have this mind among yourselves. So this is the mind that he's, he's speaking about. This is the humility that he's pointing at. Now, what else? Jesus renounces right. So how, how are we going to get there? Well, this is the mindset. And as we said, this is what we're looking for. It's not an attitude. Attitudes can change, right? My attitude comes and goes. This is an attitude that moves your emotions and moves your will. It's not just, hey, look on the bright side. That is not an, you know that. I mean, you can read a book every year that will push you to the positive side or the sunny side of life. It doesn't stick, right? We have to fight for it. So what is the mindset? Again, it's how you understand yourself, your world, how you define what is good and bad in your life, and how you see your own story. Um, it dominates your thinking. Um, it's like a cat watching a fishbowl. That's it. If, if you have a cat and you have a fishbowl, if you've ever seen this, uh, sometimes you can put them there and they will sit there for hours and just watch the goldfish. It's dominating this cat's thinking. You are not going to interrupt it. You can put your, your hand in front of their face. They're not going to blink. They have a singular gaze. This is it. Um, it has dominated their life. And Paul has said this as much, right? For me um, to live is Christ. This is what he means. And to die is gain. So this is what we're asking. This is the mindset that God is calling us to have. How do you, how you get that? It sounds great, doesn't it? How do you get that? That's the problem. Look here. Jesus renounced his rights. We need to understand that. He refused to use his position and his station and his condition. He refused to use that to his own advantage. Now, because you've probably been to church before, you're going to say, well, yeah, that's right. He's God, right? Isn't he supposed to do that? You don't think like that. Remember, when you get cut off in traffic, you, 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 you become like different. You will do things you would never do in front of your mom. You know that. You will say things that will shock yourself. I do. Jesus refused to use his position for his own advantage. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So what is his position? Where is he coming from? Let's understand this. The text says, though he was in the form of God. There's been much ink spilt on this, but it's pretty clear. There's a couple ways we can take this. In the classical Greek way, form is, is really more about essence and attributes. It's not really what Paul is talking about. You could say that of Jesus, but that's not really what the word takes us. In a typical religious use, especially during that time, it would have been more like um, the image or the appearance of God. You know that Jesus was just was really more than that. He's, he's not talking about that. Here's what he means by saying Jesus was in the form of God. Jesus was in the full possession of the glory of God. Period. Why? Simply because he is the pre-existent son of God. He possesses the full glory of God. That being said, this is veiled because he puts on humanity. He puts on flesh. But Understand this. Jesus is making the invisible glory of God visible in his teaching, in his life, in his actions. 
he's doing that. So he's in the form of God. Hebrews 1 picks up on this really well. It's a good verse that, that it would help us understand what this means. Saying he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So do not ask too much from this word form. A lot of times we get in trouble when we read scripture and we're asking it to ask to answer questions that we have that it has no intention of asking. This is not a technical term from the Apostle Paul. He wants you to see this infinite chasm that exists between who Jesus is and, and this chasm that he crossed to be written into the story of humanity. So, so this is where he's going. It's a description of Jesus as a godness. How do we know this? Well, well, Paul himself explains it. He says, Jesus did not count equality with God. He possessed it, a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to it. Well, did he lose it? No. Um, one commentator, Tony Morita, who wrote a good book on this, on Philippians, said, said it this way, and it's brilliant. I'm just going to read it. Jesus did not consider being God grounds for getting, but for giving. Jesus did not consider being God grounds for receiving, but grounds for giving his life away. Hold that thought. We talked about this last week. Man, do you, do you assume, like I do, because I was sitting there in the seats with you listening to Pastor Nagling, do you assume that you have a right to a balanced, comfortable, pain-free life? And if you're walking on that assumption... This is either going to be nothing to you or you're going to hate it. If our assumption is that, hey, I mean, I'm a Christian, so like I'm on God's team, right? Shouldn't that even make it more? Shouldn't I have a right to a pain-free life? Shouldn't I have some level of comfort? Well, Jesus forfeits his rights. Here's what I know about myself. As I've understood grace better and better throughout my life, I become a lot less demanding. Have you noticed that about people? When you understand that you are saved by grace and you hold on to that through faith, you become a lot less demanding. But this, assert yourself to the advantage of others. This is what the text is calling us to do. First, look here. Jesus renounces his rights. So what, did he, what didn't he renounce? What does Jesus hold on to? Well, his, his humiliation, right? Jesus embraced Humiliation. So this is the next part. If we're going to assert ourselves to the advantage of others, we need to look here. Jesus embraces his humiliation. This did not just happen to him. Jesus didn't find himself in a bad way. He renounces his rights as God the Son, and he embraces this. So have you ever watched this TV show called Undercover Boss? Yeah? You've seen it before, maybe. I've seen it a few times. The big idea is that a CEO goes of a large company, goes, somebody that you would probably know, goes undercover, and he works maybe as like a, a stalker or in receiving at some huge corporation that he actually owns or is the CEO of, and he learns some problems about the company, and he probably learns a life lesson, and we all have shed a tear, and it's great. Right? It, it's a good idea. It's fun to watch. This is a horrible illustration of what I'm talking about, but it's the only place we can go. Think about this for a minute. Think if it were Elon Musk or somebody like Bill Gates, who doesn't really work anymore, but, or maybe Jeff Bezos. He comes in and he's, he's a stalker and in an Amazon warehouse. 
but not for a TV show, for 30 plus years. And he renounces his seat on the board, and he renounces his wealth, and it's all gone. He doesn't have it anymore. He has no power in the company. He just takes on, and, and he's unrecognizable. Nobody would ever look at him and say, oh, aren't you Jeff Bezos? Is this a TV show? No, he's unrecognizable, and he just becomes a part of the, of, of just in the machine, completely new, loses his privileges, takes on a new role. If we would understand this for a moment, we're on the right track. This is kind of what Jesus has done. Hey, have you ever been asked to take on a new role at work and got snooty? Have you ever pouted because you got demoted? Maybe not in title, but in duty. I mean, I have. Can I just tell you that? Um, I used to fly for a living. One day, crew scheduling called me, and they said, um, hey, we're going to need you to take this trip as a first officer. And I happened to be a captain at the time. I said, really, you can't find another first officer? And they're like, no. It's okay. Um, I'll do the first day, but I really don't want to do the whole trip. Like, we, we got nothing. Like, we do not have anybody to cover this trip. And I, I just, I'm not going to do the whole trip as a first officer. Just not going to do it. I said, okay, that's fine, but we're going to have to cancel the trip. And I went on to say, because I'm such a humble Christian, I said, I'm not HR. It's not my job to, to, to hire people. So get on that. You proud of me? Yeah. Now, you ever had one of those conversations where the Holy Spirit's like, oh, we're going to talk in a minute. Yeah, hang up the phone and we're going to talk, right? That happens. I'm like, I'm just crewing, right? I'm just doing my job. Who cares? That is the essence of arrogance. That showed me a mindset that I believe that I was entitled. That job was more to me than a vocation. We do these things all the time. Jesus renounces his rights. He embraces his humiliation. He emptied himself. What does verse 7 said? But he emptied himself how? Tricky word. Please hear this. By taking the form of a servant. By being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. So let's get this right. You can misunderstand this. And empty your meaning of who Jesus is. So this is not what happened. Jesus did not change himself from God to man. If you think that's what happened, or he's a shapeshifter, or he was no longer God, became man, that did not happen. Remember, he surrendered his rights. Here's what it means. Again, Paul is showing you this chasm that Jesus crossed by being written into the story of humanity. This is what theologians will call the incarnation. He took on flesh. So it's not that he stopped being God. He takes on flesh, truly. He adds this. He adds to his nature humanity. And the glory of God becomes veiled. Are you saying that he's like one person with two natures? That's exactly what I'm saying. That makes no sense. You are absolutely right. This, is go, this goes beyond, first of all, what the text says. But it goes beyond, really, our, under, our understanding. But yes, one person, two natures, fully man, fully God. He empties himself. Not by stopping 
disobeying God or, or giving that up but by adding flesh. Very important that you understand that. Augustine says it this way, um, theologian from North Africa, Jesus emptied himself not by changing his divinity, but by assuming our changeableness. So he emptied himself in three specific ways. Let's just understand these. First, by taking on the form of a servant. Do you see the same word? Being in the form of God, but not counting that equality with God as thing to be grasped, but now he's taking on the form of a servant. Uh, the idea here is complete role reversal. Now, the word actually says slave. In the first century, in the Greco-Roman world, this is very, very common. Everything from indentured servitude to full-out slavery. But the idea is this, complete role reversal from being creator, God, to taking on the role of a slave. What does that mean? Well, he gives his life over where he, he just, his future's not under his control. Period. It's called obedience. He gave up his future, not under his control. So he's taking the form of a slave. Secondly, born the likeness of men. Um, here's what you need to know. His personal image was entirely and exclusively human. He had Mary's DNA. Human, fully human. He wasn't a phantasm or an illusion or he looks like human, but he's God, so it's just a magic trick. Was it a miracle? Absolutely. Was it magic? No. He wasn't pretending to be human. He was being born in the likeness of men, like us, and being found in human form. Well, what does that mean? If you were in first century Palestine and you would have asked anybody, hey, do you know the Jesus dude? Oh, yeah, him. Oh, yeah, I think he's a carpenter with his dad somewhere on the coast, right? Has some brothers and sisters, kind of a, out there in Galilee somewhere, kind of on the lower end of society. Their family's kind of weird, but he's really weird. Kind of a faithful family, not much to look at, is he? Like, yeah, he's weird. Even his family thinks he's weird. They would have said that of him. He was ordinary. He emptied himself. He was ordinary. So assert yourself to the advantage of others. Jesus not only embraced what the Father gave him to do, he renounced his rights and he embraced humility. Not for a season, he did it all the way. But what does this lead to? Where was he going with this? He aggressively positions himself in your shoes. He did not lack ambition. Um, it's not as though Jesus didn't care about being God the Son and living God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not like he needed an adventure. So what was he seeking? Well, you have to understand this is a love story. So you might admire Jesus for this. Say, oh, that's really good. And this is, mm, I'm going to live like that. Be careful. Be careful if this just makes you admire the actions of Jesus because he's coming for you. 
This is a love story. Jesus aggressively places himself in your shoes in this way, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' death would have been unconstitutional in our country. Completely unjust. In the Roman Empire, especially in Philippi, they were a bunch of Roman citizens. You couldn't even be crucified as a Roman citizen. And he was just pushed away and pushed out. You know what this is? This is love. If you miss this, if you want to know what love is, how to define it, how to understand it, this is what Jesus is seeking. He's seeking you. He is positioning himself between you and God's wrath. He's positioning himself between you and death. There's nothing about your life that he has to wonder about because he walked life fully human. In faith, by the way, trusting in God, obeying him. And so in Christ, here's where it's yours. In Christ, his story becomes yours. But it's not my story. It belongs to you. His story is for you. The only way this is going to make sense to you is if you will decide to empty every confidence that you have in, every confidence that you have in your ability to please God, in your ability to live a life like this, in your ability to save yourself, you have to empty yourself of that. Because it requires full confidence in the gift that God the Father gives, which is Christ Jesus. This is what was going on. This is the only pathway to salvation, the only pathway to joy, and it's death. Faith unifies you to the death of Christ, and as we're going to see next week, to his exaltation. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Is it yours? Here's what it doesn't say. If you live like Jesus, God's going to love you. No, no, no. You're getting it backwards. Remember, what was Jesus seeking? He's seeking you. He's asking you to trust him. He wants you to to let him bear the wrath that we deserve, that you deserve from sin himself. He wants to let you walk in the righteousness that he gives to you as a gift. He wants to teach you how to walk in that righteousness. He wants to empower you to do that by pouring out over and over onto you and among us the Holy Spirit. He wants to unify us in a way that cannot be broken. If you make yourself key in that equation, you miss it all. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what is dominating your thinking? What is driving your behavior? Make it real simple. What's the rest of your day look like? What's your agenda? Oh, are you saying if I'm not going to go feed the homeless, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not following Jesus? No. I'm just asking you, What dominates your thinking? 
What are you living for? What's driving you? Peace, comfort, balance, your career, avoiding conflict, keeping your good name, keeping your options open. What is driving you? We're called to assert ourselves to the advantage of others. Put your agenda for a moment on hold in one area and serve somebody today. Well, what do you mean? Do something that brings advantage to their life. Hey, it could be a word of encouragement. It could be a hug. It could be I'm taking you out to lunch. It could be, it could be a million different things. You just have to trust the Lord in that. It's all wrapped up under loving God and loving others. Assert yourself. Do it. Humility is not hanging back, friend. Assert yourself to the advantage of others. Jesus renounced his rights. He embraced humility. He was seeking you. He aggressively positioned himself that we might live this way. Now, not in the future, now. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, I thank you so much. Um, there's so many days and so many ways that I hang back and wait. conflict will go away or the frustration will go away. You're just telling us that the opportunities go away, Lord. I pray that we'd find our confidence in you fully and completely. That we'd find our salvation in you fully and completely and our joy in you, Lord. That we might spend our lives bringing advantage and blessing to others. This is your call. We cannot do it outside of understanding that we belong to you fully through the work of Christ. Lord, bring that confidence to us. Let us be a community that radically blesses one another, our families, our neighborhoods, our city, all to your glory in the name of Christ. Amen.